There we go. Hey, hey. How you doing? <laughs> Excellent. Oh, so happy to see you. Look, looking great. Uh, it's sunny over there where you are. Where are you? I am. I'm in Boulder, Boulder, Colorado. Oh, nice. Wow. Just found this beautiful snakeskin on the ground here. Oh, wow. Just it. Yeah, well, just, I, yeah I'm, at, I'm at my friend's house, but there's a bunch of it around. So that's pretty cool. Okay, well, <laughs> watch your feet while you talk. <laughs> That's awesome. Hi, I'm Cyril, your host, and welcome to my podcast that I called I Really Want to Do This. In this podcast, I interview guests from all walks of life, and try to understand the various ways that different types of people with different backgrounds and experiences succeed in achieving their goals in their very own ways. Think of the past 10 years in your own life. Have you had a personal goal, an objective, maybe you call it a dream, of doing this one thing? You really want to do that one thing, whatever it may be, but for some reason, you never succeeded in making it actually happen. Well, by showcasing successful achievers and asking them how they did it, I sincerely hope that this podcast will give you some ideas and maybe answers on where to start, how to proceed, in order to actually do that one thing that you really want to do. Hi, everyone. Thanks very much for being here today. Uh, we have an amazing guest. His name is Tez, and uh, he's going to introduce himself to you because uh, I'd like to, them to, to... Fuck, see, I started wrong. You're fine. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I'm the very beginning, you know? So, okay, let's do it again. Hi, everyone. This is Cyril, your host. Today, I'm super stoked to have a, a great guest. His name is Tez, and he's right here with us. How are you doing, Tez? Hey, Cyril. Great to be here. Hi, everybody. My name is Tez Steinberg. Tez, where, where are you right now? And tell us what, what's going on in your life these days. I'm calling in from Boulder, Colorado. I live in Nederland, Colorado, in the Rocky Mountains. And I am so excited to be here, Cyril, and share some of the stories of how I do this, how I do my life. And, and I love it. I'm, I'm an endurance artist, do endurance expeditions for good, and also a social entrepreneur. And that's taken a number of leaps of faith. So happy to share some of those today. Please. Uh, that's why you have on to, to gather your energy and, and, and see how you do stuff so we can do the same things or at least get inspired by, by how you do it so we can you know, learn and, and, and get better at it. Um, tell, tell me where, where were you born and Tell me a little bit about your, your childhood and as, as you grew up, your family environment. I'm really interested in, in the early years of someone's life. I was born just outside of New York City, but I didn't have any meaningful experiences there as a kid. We moved when I was about two years old to the Adirondack Mountains. That's in upstate New York. It's mm -hmm. closer to Montreal than it is to New York City. And we lived, the, the Adirondack State Park is a massive, massive area. 
that has private land. So we were, there's a number of towns and, and homes in it. We were one of them, but I was surrounded by nature. There mm -hmm. were bears and, and moose and foxes and deer. And, and it was, there wasn't even cable television as an option. It literally wasn't laid in the road to reach my house. And as the youngest of three, mm -hmm. I grew up with a great deal of time to myself. Cool. My parents, your parents, yeah, they were yeah. outdoors or, I mean. No, they were both from New York City and they just had this fantasy of moving out to the countryside and they really didn't know what they were getting themselves into. But it was a blessing for us kids and me especially, just getting that much exposure to nature. And uh, mm -hmm. it created a lot of tension in the family, to be honest. My parents split up when I was, I think, around 10. Uh, mm -hmm. My siblings both moved out for education. They got scholarships to here and there. And so from 10 on, I would spend hours or sometimes even days really on my own uh, mm -hmm. at home or just wandering through the woods and mm -hmm. really got comfortable being with myself. And that's been such a huge part of my journey since then. Uh, I also did a lot of theater as a kid. I was in musicals and plays. And that also became a bit of an outlet where I could express, take on a voice, be in front of others. We adopt a different personality. I was pretty, I was pretty quiet. I had thoughts, you know, as everyone does, but I generally kept them to myself. In fact, right. a couple of years ago, my sister reminded me, <laughs> I, I confessed to her when I was, uh, you know, probably about 13 or 14, that I had a strategy of boring people until they would leave me alone. Really? <laughs> I would literally not say anything. If they asked me a question, I'd give a one word answer until they just leave me alone. They'd say, wow, this kid's boring or he's clearly too closed and they'd just stop bothering. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of my yeah. MO. Do you know why you were doing this or uh, in um, respect? Yeah, I think, I think uh, part of it is I, I just didn't really trust people or feel totally safe. I think was part of it, right? Um, there, I felt like most comfortable just on my own or with a small group of people. But, you know, mm -hmm. my, my parents did the best they could, but they also, as any, you know, parents do going through a, a separation, there'll be some fights. Um, yeah. And my siblings also went head to head at times. And I just kind of learned to keep my head low and out of it. And, and then on the other side of this, I would do this theater that gave me a place and a platform where I could express and take on a role. Right. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. now in hindsight, I see how these things come together where I do something in solitude, like ultra marathons or rowing across an ocean and then share the story with others. And it calls upon these skills and storytelling and public speaking and, and sort of being on a stage in a different way where they've come to fruition in a way I could have never imagined. Wow. I love it. It's, it, it seemed counterintuitive that like um, in one way you want to be alone and not talk. And the other one is like, you actually thrive when you talk and you express what you're, you're doing and share the passion. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, totally. Well, it's important to maintain connection to others. Right. And even while as a kid, maybe I didn't feel comfortable doing that. It's still necessary for growth and integration and so forth. And so I've done a lot of work over the years to figure out, you know, what, what are these shadows that, that I have and, and how do I bring them into the light? Mm, everybody has those, don't, don't we? But tell me about your character traits and and 
self-described personality type like and and why i'm really interested in in the ones we were born with and you started to talk mm. about this but also the ones that we build and i think it's so interesting how um at some point we decide some values that we want to follow and no matter how we were born with a personality we said this is who i want to be so i'm interested mm. to say what are the personality traits you have that you have created yourself for me, it's very hard to distinguish where they came from mm. because they, they, they're, they're informed by the context, but also they arise seemingly from myself. So I'm incredibly independent, mm -hmm. right? That's been something, a streak throughout my life. I'm um, very resilient. And that even was a thing as a baby. I was, as, a, as a little kid, my family would say, he's the baby who feels no pain. So I would run along like the top of a rock wall tumble down, <laughs> scrape my knees, be covered in blood, get up and keep running. Whereas another kid would look down, see the blood and start to cry. Yeah. I would look down and just ignore it and keep going. And so, you know, I earned that nickname early on, the baby who feels no pain and um, was very accident prone as well. I had hundreds of stitches from different accidents, broken bones of all sorts. I just would throw myself in head first, literally into all sorts of situations. And, um, and as a result, that taught me a lot. You know, like you, you get some stitches, you heal, you get back in there. It takes some time, but you realize these things are temporary. Pain passes. Right. Uh, the thrill is forever. Uh, you know, call it what you want. But that, that definitely mm -hmm. taught me a lot. Um, I've always been very adventurous and risk-taking. Mm -hmm. And I've learned over the years to <laughs> take smart risks. Don't just take a risk for the risk's sake. There, there's a rush you get from taking a risk. Yeah, that rush should be chosen carefully. And, um, and so I've definitely learned that. But I would say, yeah, independent, adventurous, risk-taking. And those are the ones I would say. If I, I, I imagine some other people would, might say caring as well, which is not something I immediately that comes to mind for me. But when I, mm -hmm. a lot of my work is these days motivated by caring for the environment, by getting other people to care for each other, the stories I tell, the scholarships I raise, right? And so that's yeah. a big piece of it as well. And, and my parents helped bring that up in me. You know, I remember one year, I must have been around 11 or 12 for Thanksgiving. It was just my mom, my brother, and I. And we, my mom decided to have us go volunteer for the day. We didn't need a family meal. We went and volunteered, prepared meals in a community kitchen, people mm. who otherwise didn't have meals or families. Yeah. And that was how we celebrated the holiday. And it's just, just one example where um, just the, my parents made an effort to give us exposure to different ideas and people and help us become uh, more aware and grateful and, and giving. Mm. Love it. Yeah. I mean, there's so much about um, learning through examples of others and, and our parents are, are definitely you know, the one shaping that, but education as well. And the people we surround ourselves with, did you have really good friends when you were a kid? And yeah, I, I, I had, I had close friends. I definitely had, you know, some great childhood memories. I also had some childhood trauma when mm -hmm. I was 12. Um, I, so this ties back to the independent risk-taking curious part of me. I love to play with fire. I found it really interesting. Yeah. Um, alluring right like yeah. it, it captivated me and um with two friends we made a mistake we built a fire that we thought we put out and didn't and 12 hours later the barn across from my house where i grew up this barn was about 200 years old it burned to the ground oh, in a matter wow. of minutes 
and this was a town of about 600 people, mm -hmm. right? So you can imagine one of my best friends who was there with me, you know, 12 hours later when we first lit that fire, his dad is the captain of the volunteer police department, fire department, right? And so all you can just imagine how that kind of situation wow. creates a great deal of rumors um, and, and ostracization. And so I, I had friends, but I also had experiences like that, which put me on a razor's edge from going to juvenile hall as a kid, basically, you know, prison for kids. Uh, mm -hmm. I was basically a straight A student, but these friends gave police reports that were very damning of me. And, and, and I had a picture painted of me as a juvenile delinquent. And, um, and so well, at 12 you... years old, you know, wow. my mom, she was broke. She tended bar. My dad worked in a bakery. He didn't have much to support us either. And so here we were in a situation facing a potential lawsuit. My, we, our house was damaged from the fire across the street. So my mom emptied my bank account, which was only $600. Yeah. But it was a meaningful amount for her yeah. empty to repair the front of our house. So at 12 years old, I lost my friends, went to court, almost went on trial, emptied my bank account and, you know, was basically starting at, at zero or negative in terms of like emotional wow. <laughs> and safety and health. So that was that was 12. So there was like, yeah, I had friends and I also had a few situations serial in my life that taught me quickly that things can change really fast and you need to pay attention. So how did you leave it? Like, did you, obviously when you're 12, you can't really process all, all, all what's going on, but did you feel like this is unfair or like I don't know it or you just. It, it took years. There was a lot to unpack. Uh, the court actually ordered me to go to therapy as court, like court ordered therapy yep. and being a quiet kid and then being told I had to go speak to a therapist. Like I literally just sat in the chair for an hour, didn't say anything. And the mm. therapist diagnosed me as having PTSD. Right. Because I watched this burn barn down across the street. Right. And um, mm -hmm. and it took some years to open back up in the end. Like I became close friends with one of those two buddies again. Right. And like things started over and it became one of the bigger lessons of my life. Um, but it took years before I could even see a candle mm -hmm. without having like needing to blow it out. Like just a candle in a house scared me. Oh, right? yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it took, took a long time to unpack. Now as an adult. Like I realized there's still pieces of that that come up where uh, when I realize there's something in me that doesn't feel safe, there are kind of emotional experiences that tie back to that experience, you know, 22 years ago. Crazy. So there's, there's still stuff to unpack there. Wow. Thanks so much for sharing. It's, I mean, the fact that you, you share with us means that you, you've processed it's in, it's in the past, you've acknowledged you know, the, the learnings, what other learnings do you think you got from that? Uh, maybe that like through the other moments of your life, did you decide I'm never going to be not in control or, you know, some, some things like that or. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, clearly not because, uh, you know, as you know, Cyril and the audience yet doesn't know, but I'll share. Uh, so one year ago, exactly. I was on my rowboat rowing from California, from Monterey to Hawaii. Mm -hmm. And I was not a rower before I began. I had three days training total. I was not a sailor before I began. I was very much feeling out of control for much of that journey. And uh, it took 71 days. By the end of it, I felt, you know, pretty much in control. But um, no, I wouldn't say that I made a hard decision to always be in control because I think it's by loosening that grip that you learn and grow. There has to be some give and take. Um, but I think I just learned to be a lot more cautious at times. And, and, you know, it's one of the stories that helped me take calculated risks. Mm -hmm.
Do you have a, a motto uh, that, or several, or you just create them as you go? I'm like, I'm like that. I, yeah, I create them as I go. There are certain, there are certain, uh, there, there's one that's stuck with me for many years and it's have a purpose, not a plan. Right. That one has really resonated. Plans are so limiting and constricting and they're very effective when you can manage all of the risks, manage all of the unknowns. But in life, there are always new unknowns, always new opportunities, and you need to adapt. And for me, the purpose is what you're trying to achieve. The plan is how you achieve it. And so for me, it's always been, I can, I can change how I get there. Yes. But where I'm going and why I'm going there, that should remain consistent. And so for me, it's have a purpose, not a plan. And then when it comes to the actual way I'm getting there, then I'll come up with different mottos, different mantras in the moment to help me overcome an obstacle or reframe my mind so that I can continue proceeding. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, I'm exactly like you. I'll, I'll read something. It's going to be my motto for the next week or sometimes months. And, uh, but yeah, isn't that so inspiring just to get new inspiration all the time? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Let's go into the deep of that that podcast. I I'm really interested in understanding if you had a moment in in your life where you said I really want to do this and understanding how you made it happen. How did you feel when you felt that? Where did it come from? Did it come from your like like reading, getting a, a book, inspir- inspiration, did you, listening to somebody or did it just come in your, in your mind? Like, what, what if I do this? And, and one day it's, it's, I want to do this. Did you envision the, the finish? How you would feel in the finish? How did you, how, do you have one of those moments you can share with us? I have a lot of those moments, to be honest. And there are moments where I say, I really want to do this, but I don't believe I can. Yeah. Right. There are moments where I, I say, I really want to do this and it's crazy, but I am going to find a way. You know, and that's a really important difference because I've had I've had a lot of moments in my life where I, I and I still do. I really want to do this, but I have some limiting belief that I can't. But um, over time, you know, over over overriding those beliefs, I'd say one moment that really stands out, Cyril. So uh, in it was 2016, October 2016, I was living in London at the time, and I went to a film festival, the Ocean Film Festival. Yeah. And I saw a film about two women. Uh, Sarah Uten is one of yeah. them. She, she's yeah. rode around the world. As yeah. you may know, on yeah. her Pacific row, she was blown to Alaska and she couldn't continue rowing from Alaska. She had to kayak to complete her mission of rowing around the world or rowing and paddling. Yeah. She was in the Aleutian Islands. And so in this film, she was kayaking these Aleutian Island chains. And she made a passing reference to rowing, which I didn't know much about. But her reference basically made it sound like anyone could row an ocean. Yeah. Your rowboat self-writes if it capsizes. And it's not as technical as, say, sailing. Mm-hmm. It's not as, as, as dynamic as kayaking, where mm-hmm. if that boat capsizes, you have to get, get it back up. Mm-hmm. And it just planted the seed of like, holy shit, I want to row across an ocean. And I left the theater that night, and I Googled, how long does it take to row across an ocean? And the answer, obviously, is it depends. But that <laughs> night, I started thinking about it. Now, here's the thing. 10 years earlier, I didn't remember this at the time, but 10 years earlier, I watched a TED Talk by Roz Savage. Yes, I love her. And when I watched that TED Talk, I was still in college. 
And I thought, wow, she's so cool. I wish I could be like her. Too bad I'm not so cool. Too bad I could never row across an ocean. Mm -hmm. I literally came across ocean rowing twice in my life. Once when I ruled it out as no, no possibility ever. And then 10 years later, I came across it and it was almost a no brainer. It took me a few weeks to when I admitted publicly that I was going to row across an ocean. I didn't yet know how or where, but I knew I would. But it's, it's that journey of 10 years in between that got me to a point where I said, yes, I can do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen that, that TED Talk from Roz and myself. And I loved, it was at the one where she does a, a eulogy where uh, yeah. she was a lawyer in London. And then she says, well, okay, I'm going to write a, a, a scenario number one if I'm on my deathbed and I write the story of where I keep doing what I'm doing right now, which is working for a law concert, consulting firm, firm or whatever in, in London. And, and the other one where I live a life of adventure and which one would I be more the most proud of? And then that's when she decided, okay, in a few months, I'm going to row the Atlantic. Mm-hmm. So, and to me impacted me so much, not so much about the rowing side because I was not a rower either. And, but it was more like, I want a life of adventure. This is what I want. I want excitement. I want this, you know? And and like you said, then it's like a seed. And then 10 years later, you heard some somebody else saying, hey, I wrote an ocean. You could do like some ways. And it was very similar to me because Ross Savage, that was probably 10 years before. And then I saw uh, Alastair Humphrey. Is it Alastair yep, Humphrey? Yep, Alastair Humphrey. Yes, yep. he put that little video about crossing the Atlantic was a team of four and they say, wow, I just loved it. And I stumbled a third time. It was mm-hmm. Chris Martin on the great Pacific race. Like you don't mm-hmm. veer over to cross an ocean. And the three times is a charm. It's like, okay, I think I could do that too. You know? Ready. So you saw that and you said, wow, what, what it, like attracted you to that adventure? Is it the adventure itself? Cause it could have been somebody talking about climbing the Everest and then you could have been inspired, but that in particular inspired you? It could have. Here's a few things specific to the experience in the ocean that really spoke to me. One, I knew from the get-go that this is something I would do alone. There was never any question for me that I would do this in a pair or in a team. Really? It would be an experience that I would do alone, first and foremost, because I wanted to get to know what it's like to spend that much time with myself. We have this idea that you spend months by yourself and you'll go crazy. And I knew from meeting people who had done it, that that's not the case. And I wanted to know what that's like to myself. Mm -hmm. Also on, on the ocean, while there are moments of complete terror and hair raising moments, there's also a lot of just peacefulness Mm -hmm. where things aren't on high alert all the time. Mm. And I imagine mountaineering where you are monitoring every single step, a misstep, and you tumble down the mountain, you're tethered to other people, you pull them down. It's a completely different experience. There is a degree of relaxation that you can can meet out in the ocean that's different from other other extreme endurance feats. And so those are a couple of the reasons it spoke to me. It also goes over a long period of time and therefore became an opportunity. I knew it would be an opportunity for me to use the story and the journey to inspire others. And that was always a piece of it. I didn't know what that would look like at the time, but I knew that sharing the story through social media and so forth would would be big. And the last thing, Cyril, when I came across that film at the Ocean Film Festival, it was just a few months after my father died. Mm. He actually took his life. Mm. And so that was early, it was May, 2016. 
And so it was October when I saw this film and I was really looking at the time for a way to get away from everything. Right. And so ocean rowing to me seemed like a great way to just get away from everybody, be by myself, be in nature, connect to nature, and we'll see what else the project becomes. Mm-hmm. And so that was, that was the other piece. And it was really then a question of, look, I felt like my dad gave up on his life mm-hmm. and opportunities that he had and gave up on, on myself and my siblings and other things. And I said, look, life is short. You know, whether you take it or you're hit by a bus, anything could happen any day. There's no guarantee we're here tomorrow. What am I going to do with my life to make my life count for me and the other people around me? And when I came across this ocean rowing idea, I said, yeah, this is it. This is the time for me to do it. Fantastic. Fantastic. So once you had that in mind, I want to look at the process. Did What's your technique? Once you had this in mind, I'm going to do this. Did you set a timetable? I'm going to do this in a year, in two years. And how did you create, you know, there's so many roadblocks that like comes to mind, like finding a boat, getting the skills, finding the, the money, making room in your life to be able to go for two months in the ocean. What was your strategy? I started off with research, right? Because there's a number of ways you can row an ocean. You can row it independent or you could row it as part of a race. So I started just piecing together getting a framework for what the options are, because until you get farther along, you don't know what the knowns and unknowns are. I realized after a couple of months, it seemed like the most straightforward way for me to row across an ocean would be to participate in the Atlantic rowing race, the Atlantic challenge, because that provided me a structure to prepare as a solo, meaning I don't have anyone else on my team to help me get ready. And also as a novice, there's a lot for me to learn and very few people for me to share that work with. So I thought participating in this race gives me a structure to be more effective and efficient. It also gives me credibility so that when I go to a sponsor and I say, hey, I'm going to row across an ocean, they don't look at me and say, you're crazy. They say, oh, wow, there's a race where other people are doing this too. Yeah. And that means more visibility. So I'll get better ROI on my sponsorship. So I signed up for the Atlantic rowing race. I picked a race three years out. I signed up December 2016 for the race in December 2019. I thought three years, plenty of runway. I'll be able to go work for a couple of years, pay down my student loans for my MBA, then leave my job and do this Atlantic growing race. So I started fundraising or trying to fundraise. And that was the main focus was really creating a brand. What am I, fund- what am I rowing for? What is the mission? And then raising sponsorship to support that. Well, fast forward two and a half years, the race is six months away. I don't have any sponsorship on board in, in any meaningful way. Uh, I realized the boat is only like a third of the way built. There is no freaking way we're going to pull this thing off. But as a last ditch effort, I launched a crowdfund. Yeah. And that was the last thing I wanted to do because I wanted friends and family to donate to the scholarships, which was what I was ra- fundraising for, right? The, yep. the charitable vision. But I realized, shit, I can't do this. I've been putting in half of every paycheck for, for two, three years. Um, sponsorship's not there. So we launched a crowdfund. And that was the secret sauce, man. People really wanted to help. And it, it, in the end, that, that crowdfund raised $75,000 that went towards costs. Um, but it came in too late to participate in the, in the Atlantic growing race. So I had to switch in the end. Um, but it's basically, I started off with this strategy that yeah. I thought would allow me to raise sponsorship. And that just was, it, it just didn't pan out as well. But it got me going and got me taking one step in front of the other so yes. that over time, I had a better framework and and a supporting community that helped me pull the project off in a different way. 
Yeah. So basically, I mean, it just explains how every project works. You start with a plan and a strategy and you, you're going to create, you put that energy out, create a website, PowerPoint presentation, you put it out and then you have to adapt, 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 constantly adapt. Exactly. So tell me what's, what's your uh, reaction to roadblocks because they're, they happen on every project. There's roadblocks. Yeah. Um, those that, that are planned, I say, okay, well, um, you know, I want to be Michael Jordan. I, I can't really be Michael Jordan, <laughs> you know, and those that are unplanned, like, okay, I can't find the finance. I thought I was going to, going to do it. Uh, for me, I've got so many roadblocks. Road like first I wanted to do the great Pacific race in, in 2014. I couldn't find the money. And, and I think this is a winner's perspective. Maybe you didn't win that day, but you're not going to give up. You say, okay, What's, I'm going to refocus on another goal. And mine was to do it two years later and find another money. And what's your solutions to roadblocks? You just break them, go around them, find a solution and just say, that's normal. Well, I think the first thing is going back to that motto, that, that mantra I shared before, have a purpose, not a plan. Because that, that roadblock is a block to your plan, but it's not necessarily a block to your purpose, right? Mm -hmm. My purpose with this experience was row across an ocean, inspire others, raise scholarships mm -hmm. i could still do that i just didn't need to participate in this in this race and once i detached i was very attached to the idea of doing this race i told everyone my ego was in it i thought if i if i'm not doing this race i'm letting people down yeah wait a minute i was the only one who was going to be let down by this and then i realized hang on instead of shipping my boat halfway around the world and paying another 20 grand to participate in this race i could just leave my boat where it is row off the west coast of the U.S., save a ton of money, and yeah. do, a, do a row that's even more challenging, so even more inspiring. And But it took me a while to detach from that race. And so the way I detached was really reframing it. How is this an opportunity, right? Yeah. Often when things happen, you see what looks like a roadblock, looks like an obstacle. It seems like something's happened to you. You can ask yourself, how is this happening for me? How is this an opportunity for me? reframing it instead of a two, but a four, yeah. something in service to you, that's, that's, that really can help. So that was one, one way for me that, that helped transcend. And also this could be applied in any, any moment in life, really. Like anything framing. in life, yeah. anything in life. If someone insults you, yeah. you know, you're like, oh, wow, I'm really offended. How could they do that to me? Well, turn yeah. it around. But what, what, what does this say for you? What do you want to learn from this experience? Right. Yeah, I love anything it. Anything in life. What well, was this experience as um, as exciting or as fulfilling as you had imagined? <laughs> not, not the the guy insulting you, but the, yeah, the no, no, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah, fuck yeah. Um, it was absurd. It was completely absurd. Um, hard to explain. I mean, yeah, it's very hard to explain. It's now a year. It's it, today would be day. Uh, let's see. It's Tuesday, today's like day 17 mm -hmm. of the row last year. And yeah, like reliving it, it just feels like another lifetime. I feel like a different person. We've created massive impact. Uh, we raised almost $77,000 for scholarships to help other students have an opportunity that I had going to an international high school for peace. And just personally getting to experience the ocean and be with myself, it's brought enormous clarity to my life and and just an incredible privilege to have that experience. And so 
it wasn't what I imagined in a lot of ways. The challenges were different than I anticipated and I had to do a lot of reframing and adapting on the ocean because I had this idea of what I would encounter. And when I encountered something else, I, I was very frustrated because I, I was attached to the idea of what I would find. But that's the journey, right? Whether, whether you're rowing or walking or doing anything in life, that's the journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you know, I always look at my own crossing as such a learning experience, like you're saying. Uh, you know, when you usually talk about, hey, how was, what did you do in terms of education? Well, I did an MBA for three years and, you know, three years is so long. And in, in three months, everything you've learned is so crazy. And, and the, this one event, it was 71 days. So it's really like two day, two months, right? But these two months impacted your life and are going to impact your next 70, or, well, 30, 60 years in such a tremendous way that is it's probably more valuable than the MBA itself. So 100%. Yeah, uh, everything I learned in my MBA, I applied through the row. Marketing, storytelling, branding, fundraising, project management, sales, right? It goes on and on. Like Oh yeah, uh, yeah. You know, I didn't I not like corporate finance, right? To that level, but it was very much an applied MBA with a budget managed budget of a couple hundred thousand dollars and you know, it's it mm-hmm. is and that was part of what attracted me as well. I was like, this is a development experience long before I hit the water. This mm-hmm. gives me the skills and experiences I want to continue building new projects and new businesses afterwards. And so that's definitely happened. I have ideas for what I want to do next. I'm not able to share those right now, but it's definitely been a huge experience for me. Uh, tell me about your international exposure. I, I know it's very dear to me and traveling and living overseas. Uh, tell me about that a bit. Well, when I was 17, I won a scholarship and I moved from upstate New York to a small village in Italy. And wow. I spent the, spent the next two years at a school called the United World College of the Adriatic. Now, these United World Colleges or UWCs, they're international high schools. I take students from 155 countries, give them scholarships so that we can study together, learn and live with each other, and stop fighting, create a peaceful world. So I was lucky enough to get one of these scholarships, and I I, uh, spent two years with students from 80 countries at this school, and it was an incredibly transformative experience, right? There's, it was at the height of the American-Iraq war. As an American, I was going and worried what the Iraqis would think of me. The Iraqis were thinking the same exact thing, right? And, and that happens across all different borders and, and communities, right? We have Israelis and Palestinians, Indians yeah. and Pakistanis, and we figure our stuff out together. Yeah. And so ever since finishing that experience, that was 2004 to 2006, I was 17, 18 years old. Ever since then, I wanted to give that experience to other students. And when I decided to row across an ocean, I realized this was the best way possible. So that's why I called the row the United World Challenge to raise scholarships for United World Colleges. Well, so how many did you raise? We raised 77 grand, which is enough to send three students for two years to the United World College of the USA. And uh, so how are they? Full scholarships. Do you know who they are? 
I do know who they are. What? Are you their mentor? Tell me no, you're their mentor. Not yet. The school has to, uh, the school has to give them, uh, you know, notice and, and let them know where the funds came from, um, which I don't think they've done yet. So in time, in time, but. Wow. Um, do you know, do you know where they're going to go? In, in I know you? their names. I know, I know where they're going to go. They'll start the school next year. Um, so it's pretty cool to see the story and oh, see, the, see the direct impact because yeah, these, these kids, um, are getting this life changing experience. Thanks to thousands of people who supported the row. And thanks to me for kind of conceiving this project and keeping going when I really wanted to quit <laughs> so many yeah. times. But so that was, that was one piece of the international experience was that those two years in Italy, making friends with people from 80 different countries, you know, and realizing two things. One, the world is really big and there's a lot of diversity, yeah. but also the world is really small and we have a lot in common. Yeah. And I, I, I find the best truths in life are paradoxes. Yeah. And that for me is one of the paradoxes. The world is both big and small at the same time. Yeah. And that is also what I wanted to show with the row, like the humility of how big this ocean is and yet how powerful we are to be able to cross it just with your hands. Yes. Yes. So wow. that, that was one. Then um, I, I went on after my, uh, I went to college in the United States in Minnesota. After that, I founded a nonprofit that did medical education work in Bolivia and Venezuela. Um, my uncle had a heart attack and my best friend had a heart attack. And I got very committed to emergency response services in communities. So I spent a few years developing response services in medically underserved communities. Um, did that for a while, working in Latin America. Then I ended up getting my MBA in London for two years. So those are some of my international experiences. And they're very much, they, they inform the work I do and the ethos that I take to the work because I really believe we have a shared responsibility around the world to take care of the resources we have and, and to look after each other. Mm. We're really citizens of the world, aren't we? Mm -hmm. Like we're all the same human. Like you say, we're different, but we're the same. We're all walking that same rock, uh, just running around and traveling on the different continents. Exactly. And, but congrats for doing what you do. I, I love it. I mean, you've already tripled at least the investment of that experience. Like you had the chance of going in Italy. Mm -hmm. You've already found three mm -hmm. go. And I'm sure you're going to keep going. Every adventure you do, you're going to keep doing that. And those three will do three each of them. So it's a multiplying domino effect that I love, you know? So this is fantastic. Congrats. We need more people like you, man. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I mean, not only it's, it's rewarding to, to see that what we do with our passion is impacting others positively, but it's multiplying because it's out of our control. I just love that side of it. Wow. So cool. Tell me about... You're, oh, you can't tell me about your next. <laughs> It's a secret. Yeah, I have some secrets. I have some secrets. I, I, all I can say now is, uh, you know, I'm taking this year to really recalibrate and just look after myself. And for the first time in ever, I'm just going slow. Good. Um, I'm going for walks in the woods and enjoying myself and reconnecting with community. And in about a year's time, I expect... I will go public with more adventure plans. Yes, yes. You need you need that time alone to be able to go big again. Well, where can follow you or see you, or if you wanted to follow you, I'm sure you have a website and something. Yeah. So the 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 first row was called the United World Challenge. 
You can learn more about that at unitedworldchallenge.org. And people can also connect with me, Tez Steinberg, on LinkedIn and yep. Instagram, just at Tez Steinberg. I love it. Um, as a conclusion, two things. One, if you have to leave one takeaway, only one thing that people should least remember, like after this, we talked like 45 minutes, so many gold nuggets, one thing. It's tough. It's, a tough. it's hard. <laughs> Honestly, I, I would go back to that motto, have a purpose, not a plan. The purpose can change. It doesn't have to be the same purpose throughout your life. But if right now your purpose is emotional healing, prioritize that. If right now the purpose is learning, you can learn and that'll pay dividends later. And just get really clear on what that is. And then every all of your choices and priorities get clear from What, what if they don't know what the purpose is? So many people are don't know like then you can listen to what you're naturally drawn to mm -hmm. what is something what is something you would do if it was just up to you yes and then it doesn't have to be look i really want to climb everest i really like hiking i'm just going to make hiking more of a priority just like break it down to small pieces because there's no way i could have imagined rowing across an ocean if i didn't start by just going on some runs for my mental health I mean, I started this endurance journey to deal with depression. Mm -hmm. And that was like 14 years ago. And it was just step by step realizing, okay, I'm pretty good at this. Oh, wow, this actually helps me in other areas of my life. If I started off saying with these great big goals, it would have yeah, intimidated me. Possible. I never would have done it. Yeah. And so I just say, listen to what you feel naturally drawn to and create some space for it. Mm, space for it. Little victories, little victories lead to bigger one, bigger one, bigger one. I love it. Okay, uh, the reveal of the song. I asked uh, all my guests to listen to a song because <laughs> I believe that sometimes when, when we're actually not feeling you know, great, we just listen to this one song. I have a song I can listen 20 times in a row. I feel like in fire. Yeah. Uh, you know, what's the song you listened to before we talk? I listened to a song called Jewel of Now by Random Rab. Oh, wow. I have no clue. Tell us yeah. about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What's He's the story of that song? Well, I don't know the specific story of this song for the artist, but uh, for me, the song is very playful, melodic, upbeat, relaxing. Like whatever your issues are, they can fall away and you just get really present, you know, because really all that we have, Cyril, is this moment. All we have, you know, is yeah. now. And so for me, the song just gets me back into the present moment. I know it go, goes back to your extremes where all we have is now, you know, plan for the future, go for it, but live in the now. I mean, it's yeah. extremes, it's balance or opposites are true at the same time. Eh? Yeah, it's one of those, it's one of those paradoxes. I love it. Thank you so much, Des. Hey, thank you for having me, Cyril. Really good to see you and be a part of, of what you're building here and, um, big fan of the work you do as well and just a privilege to, to share some space with you oh i love it thanks we'll uh, invite you again when uh when we you can actually reveal what you're doing it <laughs> <laughs> perfect that sounds good man all right thanks des thanks. All right, cheers, cyril. thanks everyone for listening i'm your host cyril and remember life is an adventure live it <laughs>
Thanks, man. Awesome. Cheers, Cyril. We'll talk soon, buddy. All right. Big hug to All you. Right. Cheers. Bye. Take care. Bye.